Welcome to another episode of Return on Character podcast with me, Dan Cooper, your host, founder of Rock Investments, Return on Character Investments, which allocates capital into the public markets based on character of public company CEOs and teams. I am thrilled to have with me somebody from a sector of the universe that we have not yet interviewed uh, on the topic of character, and that's Ismail Rickson. Um, Ismail founded a company, and this is going to be fun to get into, um, called FE International. And what's unique about this company is that I think, at least from what my, my due diligence is, you, you founded it so young. I mean, I mean, it took yes. a lot of guns. You know, most people come out of this space, uh, they're these institutional M&A firms that claim to own all of you know, the space. And, and to have the, the courage and the gumption about and start a firm in this space, uh, and then not only grow it guys. I mean, one of the things that's fascinating is it's been claimed that it was the fastest growing company in 2021 to 21 in 20, uh, claimed by the financial times. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's from, it's. As far as I can tell, it's a freak of nature, and I want to hear the story of how you were able to do what you did. And uh, anyway, all to say, welcome to the show. Thanks for showing up. Thank you for really having appreciate me. It. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the, the kind introduction there too. <laughs> well, um, well, tell me. Let, let's just start with where you're from, where you grew up, um, and how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Bring us, bring us to that point. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you for having me. Um, I, I love the, the philosophy, kind of what you've built there, and uh, ha happy to dive in. Um, yeah. I, if you cannot tell from the accent, originally I'm from uh, the United Kingdom. I grew up near a very small town called Henley, which there's absolutely no reason you should know where Henley is. Uh, mm -hmm. It's about 30 to 40 minutes west of of London. The only reason some people may know it is if you've seen the movie, The Social Network, there is a scene in there where there's a rowing regatta and that is in the town of Henley. So okay, claim the rowing fame. heavy. Yeah. So it goes from about 5,000 people to about 50,000 people for one week of the year, everything explodes. And then it goes back to being a very sleepy farm like town. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's where I'm from. But like most people, um, in England, I then migrated to London. I, uh, you know, after going to, to college, uh, where I went to the University of Bath, um, went to London, did the banking thing uh, for three, four, five years, uh, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup. And it was at that stage where I decided that it wasn't going to be for me. And not because I didn't like banking. I, I love the sector. I'm still in the sector today to, to a certain extent. Um, but it was just, it was a very linear growth trajectory. And that was the bit that, you know, got to me. Um, I'm somebody who likes to work 80 plus hours a week. And I started to realize in some of those institutions, they're so large that you become, you know, obviously you're a very small cog in a very, very big right, wheel. Right. Um, but there's, there's not much wheels. you can do. Yeah. Exactly. And there's not much you can do to push the narrative. You're on a trajectory and provided you don't get fired, you know when your next promotion is coming. You know the right. bare minimum required to do that along the way to kind of get to that point. So for, for me, um, that just kind of wasn't what I was necessarily looking for. So um, I'm very, very fortunate that somebody I went to college with um, 
had the guts to actually start a business. Um, so I kind of joined about a year or, or to kind of two after that. And then we kind of partnered up and, and, and didn't look back. But I think that the bit that we always wanted to do um, was to help a part of the market that we were considered to be very, and still today, to be very underserved, the kind of lower middle market part, you know, you know, in the technology space specifically, deals kind of below $250 million. These companies don't want to address those type of businesses unless they're on rocket ship growth, which is usually a VC trajectory or, or path. So I think that that yeah. kind of was the ethos. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands of founders out there that have fantastic businesses that also need care, attention, guidance. And nobody was doing that in the space. When, when we, Obviously, lots of people do it now, but when we started, um, you know, that wasn't something that, that we saw. And that was 2010, so think, right? Was yeah, 2009, 2010 2010 is when it's kind of formalized into a, an actual business. And then from there, you know, when we, we would define that as kind of first hire outside of ourselves. Um, and then from there, you know, yeah, that's when it starts to grow. So it started well, in you were You were a young yeah. guy. You were a young guy back then. I mean, you're a young guy yeah. now. I mean, tell us about the first, I mean, it's always these kinds of things are, get launched on, on winning the first customer, winning the first client. Were there any kind of de defining moments in the early days that really opened the doors for you guys to be able to get going and put a stake in the ground? Well, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, when I started in the company, so I'm not the fa I'm one of the founding partners, let's say, but the actual kind right, of right. out of the bedroom with $50, that, that was my business partner, Thomas. Um, but he, um, <laughs> I, I would say wh when I joined, the company was doing, you know, web management. So kind of helping people, uh, you know, with hosting and, you know, updating content and little bits like that. And then I kind of realized, well, okay, 90% of our effort is going into that and it's generating about 10% of our revenues. And then mm -hmm. I thought maybe there's, you know, and, and then obviously on the flip side of that, you know, this, this kind of brokerage thing that we were doing, you know, at the time uh, was generating nearly all of our revenues, but was a very, very small focus. So once we started to dig into that and we realized that, you know, that was the, the demand was there and the need was there, that's when we kind of pivoted the model very, very quickly and, and then kind of took off. And, and you're right, it's all about, you know, what are the first customers need and, and not building a service around them necessarily, but obviously being conscious that all of your efforts is going into serving them with the view that you're going to get the experience and track record to, to do more over time as well. So we're very grateful to our, you know, a, a lot of our kind of initial customers and some of them we still work with today in the sense that some of them started out with very small businesses and they have kind mm -hmm. of taken a stair-stepping approach over time. And, and we've been fortunate to be able to work with some people across four, five, six different, you know, acquisitions and obviously as, as they acquire they grow and then they kind of start to go full cycle they then exit acquire something larger over time so that that is something that's kind of one of our core principles um is kind of it, it is kind of making sure that we can serve the whole the kind of the whole spectrum in terms of what we do a, a lot of firms just move up market and start to kind of forget where they came from from that perspective but, right, but we like right. to think that, that we continue doing well, I mean, it's an unusual thing because especially if you're starting with smaller companies, they don't, the fees and the size of the deals are a lot smaller. Um, and when you're getting, getting going, it takes time. Also, I know in the M&A space, it's like nurturing a relationship, right? I mean, it's incredibly relational oriented. You're building trust with the founders of these companies and they're trusting you to get the best deal that you can for them. Um, and that takes time. The sales cycle can be quite long. And so that's why yes. there's not a lot of M&A startups out there. Uh, 
that have been successful. Uh, it's pretty impressive that you've been able to do what you've been able to do. No, I appreciate that. And the, and what we observe, so we've been through a few cycles now. We kind of started during the financial crisis and then there have been, you know, 2015, another kind of blip. And then obviously, you know, what we're seeing a little bit, well, the start of at the moment. And what we see is that a lot of everybody is an M&A advisor when the market is very, very strong. And then as soon as the market starts to dip, they go off and find the next shiny coin to play with. So, um, so yeah, no, we, we, you, you're right. There. I mean, the, the, the site is on, but for us as you know, there are more business when we started off doing kind of slightly smaller deals. So kind of, you know, six figure deals was where, where we were when we kind of first started the business. There are a lot more kind of six figure businesses than there are six billion dollar businesses. So there is a large volume to play with there. Yeah. So I think at our peak, we were doing about 120 acquisitions a year. So that's a lot of closings on a weekly basis. Now, as we've kind of scaled up to the kind of eight, nine figure space, we're doing closer to, I would say, 40 to 50 a year. But in turn, wow. we've been able to reinvest a lot and build out the team. I mean, we're about 150 people or, you know, or so now across all functions. So now we can kind of serve that type of volume, um, you know, very uh, yeah, efficiently and effectively. Um, but I think it also comes down to being very strict to what you, you know, your core competence of what we do. We, we deal with technology businesses. We deal with SaaS businesses, digital media businesses, and, and some e-commerce businesses as well. So outside of that, we know what our skill set is. If we can help somebody, we will tell them we can help them. If we can't, we will tell them that we can't. So it's kind of staying disciplined to that, I think, you know, helps. Um, and sometimes that means turning away business, which is, you know, unfortunate, but it means we can do a better job for the people that we know we can serve very, very well. Yeah. Well, it's, you got an award for the fastest or one of the fastest growing companies uh, in 2021. Now, we all know that is in the heart of COVID. How in the world did you get that title uh, in, in, a, in a period of time, uh, you know, in the world where it seemed like the whole world was shutting down? How did that happen? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it was a, a, a tough period for you know, everybody. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that our company has always... So we are definitely an in-office company. I mean, we have offices in London, New York, uh, Miami, and San Francisco. So we are an in-office company. But it just so happened that we were very well set up to transition, um, you know, to the kind of more remote model, um, you know, anyway. So from a business disruption perspective, uh, we obviously had challenges like everybody else. But, you know, our team was incredibly hardworking and just kind of got on with, with the task. Um, and I think that, um, you know, in terms of our, in terms of the, the user behavior and adoption, a lot of the businesses that we serve actually were kind of, you know, did reasonably well during that period. So a lot during of the SaaS businesses that we work, yeah, you know, content, you know, digital media businesses, e-learning platforms, anything e-learning did very, very well in that period. So a lot of our end customers, actually their businesses weren't necessarily, you know, suffering. They were suffering in the sense of, you know, operationally, you know, being able to, to, to do business, but the actual demand they were seeing was still very, very strong. So we, you know, we pivot, I think we were, I, I'm trying to remember the exact date, but we were very early to, to kind of move to the, the work from home. We didn't kind of try and stick it out. I think it was literally as early as February or March 2019 that we said, okay, this is going to happen. I've seen enough people on planes wearing masks now. This is not this is not a joke. This is going to happen. We made that move very quickly. So we didn't have a huge, huge amount of disruption, I would say. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it just goes, I mean, we knew the technology move was happening anyway. The, the move to the cloud was already a, a kind of trend across most industries. 
COVID yeah. and the pandemic, yeah, it kind of shifted that timescale forwards for a lot of people. So our customers did very well, which in turn meant that we were able to, to continue operating. And, and, you know, the awards and accolades are, are great, but, you know, I think that, you know, our company, FE International, founder exits, we are here to help founders exit. And the ability to continue doing that for them was, you know, meaningful during that period. That's awesome. Tell me about a time, um, tell me about some event in your life, either professionally or, or, or from a business perspective that really defined, you know, I, I don't know, a character developing moment, I guess, uh, that informs how you lead your company today. Um, is there anything that set, stands out in, in the early days of, of, of launching your firm or what you think really defines who you are today and how you're trying to take your company forward? Yeah, I mean, going back, you know, 10 years or so, there are a, load, a couple of like, obviously, milestones that that kind of become definitive. I think, you know, things like opening your first office or closing your first office. We've closed a number of offices over time as well, as we kind of test the market and understand where we want to be in those type of things. I think hiring is always the big one. And hiring is fun, um, you know, and it's great for, for, for team members, but obviously losing people over time, that is a, a function of business as well. And that hurts because it's a failure of management ultimately. So those are the defining moments in terms of how can you learn from those and make it, you know, position the business to be able to, to help people along. And I think for us, um, it was understanding because these are people's careers and lives that, that you're, that you're working with. It's not just a paycheck at the end of the day. If somebody chooses to come to us as opposed to you know, a big institution or a big bank, you know, that is, that is a meaningful decision. So it's having everything in place to make sure that they can thrive in that type of opportunity. And for us, it was also defining who the right people are that we can actually, you know, best work with over time. We are not, you know, so being a smaller firm, you know, competing with much larger firms, uh, you know, for competing with the the kind of, you know, Jeffries and Baker Tillies of the world and those kind of things. Right. We, we, we have to be honest with ourselves. And I think that's one thing we, you know, defined and learned over time is what are we good at? What are we not good at in terms of personnel? We are not the best place in the world. You know, pound on hop. If you are a graduate, we are not the best place in the world. You know, because we, as a sm company with 150 people, we may not be the best at training graduates out of school and and kind of you know pushing them forwards in their careers. But if you're an associate level, so you've done two three years in banking, you're in the position where you're not getting as much deal flow as you you know necessarily want. You may be in the wrong sector team, and you want to get to you know. 10, 20 deals a year in terms of your experience. We're very, very good at that. So I think part of the milestone that was important early on was understanding what are we good at? What are we not so good at? Where can we help people? Because the better our staff do, the more they can help you know, our end customers at, at the end of the day as well. So I think it's kind of, you know, I think as, a, as an owner, as a you know, business founder, you kind of need to just be honest with yourself and don't accept it as a, a point of defeat, more accept it as well. You know, there are, let's say to run a success, you know, to run a successful business, it's a cocktail of 20 or 30 different things you can do. You just need to identify the ones that, you know, you can do very, very well and become number one at those things, uh, you know, on a global basis and everything else will ultimately follow. In your opinion and your experience, what makes a great M&A um, broker or leader in the space? Like, I mean, those that have been wildly successful, what do they like? What, what, what advice would you give to uh, somebody that's trying to come into your industry? And what do you think of the characteristics and from more from a human side that makes, makes an M&A um, 
associate great. Yeah, I mean, anybody trying getting into the spec university, come work with us. But aside from that, <laughs> aside from that, I would say tenacity and um, and kind of empathy would be, would be the two key things. And to kind of address those individually, from a tenacity perspective, every deal is going to you know die three times before it ends up closing. That's pretty much the, the saying in yeah, the space. And, and you need to have, you know, very thick yeah. skin and the ability to, to, you know, just look at everything from a very, very rational perspective. Obviously, emotions and other things come into it. But, you know, as to your point, it can be a long process for some businesses and you need to be kind of willing to stay the course. And, you know, anybody who's looking to, you know, get into m and I mean, that is just a feature set of the sector, I would say. And especially if you're looking to do it at, at volume in the same way that we do, you know, that, you know, the ability to, to kind of continue doing it day in and day out. I mean, you have to really love, you have to really love it. It's not something that, you know, as I was kind of touching on earlier, everybody's an m and advisor when the markets are strong, but, you know, you have to be there willing to stay the course. And we've been doing it, what, 12-ish years in this particular business, um, you know, so far, and we'll be doing it for 12 and 24 years to come. So I'd say that's the, the first thing. And then the second thing, you know, on the kind of, you know, empathy and understanding side of it, I mean, you are ultimately, you know, at the scale that we're talking at here. So let's say, you know, businesses value between zero and $250 million. Obviously, this becomes slightly, you know, less relevant as you go up the scale and beyond that. But the type of people that we're dealing with, they may be selling their first business, they may be selling their fifth business, but they're typically, you know, they haven't taken VC money, they are the founder, they may have taken small seed round or something like that over time, but they are the principal, you know, of their business. This is a life-changing event for them. You have to understand mm -hmm. that and you have to really be willing to to take a step back and give them, put their interest first, give them the best possible advice. And sometimes that advice may be, you shouldn't be selling right now. And here's why. And let's work towards a path in the future. So not just kind of chasing the fees, you know, every single time as you go. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that our firms are very good. We've been very good at that because we tend to work with people across multiple deals, you know, through their kind of professional lifespan. So it's about giving good advice so that people will come back and work with you on a variety of things as they go, as opposed to, you know, pressuring people to accept a deal that may not be the best thing for them ultimately, which is why we're very cautious about, you know, a lot of firms that kind of just spring up and, you know, overnight success stories and those type of things. I mean, it's, it's a long game, uh, you know, from, from that perspective. But you know, I think that half of our job is, be extremely analytical and extremely, you know, data-led and shrewd and, and understanding how to negotiate in the market and who's target. And the other half, quite honestly, is being, you know, a quasi-therapist to the founders that we work with because it's a process you need to kind of guide and walk them through. And sometimes, you know, you need to be able to, you know, take a step back and be like, well, what is the best thing for, for this individual, for their business and what they're trying to achieve in terms of life goals as well as professional goals. So I think mm -hmm. that having those two kind of skill sets will lead people to be successful in m and um, yeah, If you don't have those two, I think that, you know, you can do okay for a while, but ultimately longer term, it will become a, a struggle and success rate, which, you know, for us, we track success rate very heavily. Our success rate is about 94.1%. Um, so that's a kind of one of our kind of core you know, metrics in turn we look at. And ultimately it's because we think we are in the business of giving good advice. To what is that? Break down that 94 uh, percent. What, what what are you tracking, and what what does that mean? Closing deals for customers, so, acquiring customers. So what is we take 
in our business, of all of the businesses that come to us and get valuations done, which is usually a, a complimentary service, because one of the things, there's just not a lot of information out there. People will look at the markets and go, oh, well, how am I valued? This company's right. making no revenue and trading at 40 times. You know, I'm making revenue. Oh, so no profit and trading at 40 times. I'm making revenue and I'm at this. How do I value myself? So a lot of the misinformation is out. So we kind of provide that as a, as a complimentary service, as well as some exit planning. But of those businesses, we only ever take about 1.8% of those businesses to market, you know, in terms of, are we a fit? Are they a fit for market? Are they ready to be marketed? Is the market in a good position in the first place? So of those businesses, very selective. And then that raid tracks, you know, from actually going out and targeting buyers and investors to actually successfully closing. So that's what that 94.1% relates to. And the delta that we typically have between a target and a, you know, a, a delta or spread between the target that we set um, and the kind of final sell price is usually about 5.8%. So our valuation work tends to be very accurate, but then we're very good at actually you know, going out and selling companies as well. But these are the kind of things that we track internally. So we'll take businesses to market if we feel we are a very good fit to deliver on that. We are, you know, we're not a speculative shop in the sense of, you know, oh, somebody wants, you know, 50 million or 100 million for their business, it's worth 20, let's give it a shot because we're wasting everybody's time in, in those kind of contexts. So again, it's about being honest and transparent with with kind of founders as to you know what can be achieved is now the right time. Can we work with you to, you know, right. to get you to where you want to be instead of just, you know, pushing you out to market for, for the sake? Right. Well, uh, respecting your time, I, I want to I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how um, how to make contact with your group and and how to, uh, if, there, if there's a listener out there that has a company, a software or a SaaS company, uh, thinking about exiting, how do they, how do they reach out to you as well? No, absolutely. It's just feinternational.com and, and, you know, there's a bunch of contact forms uh, and other things uh -huh. there. And I would say that, um, yeah, I mean, we're definitely here to speak to people that, you know, are just curious, I would say, and interested in, you know, the valuation of their business. And we like to think that obviously we're a yeah, our service is M&A, but we're also an information business. So, you know, we've, I think, lifetime valued uh, over 23,000 businesses at this stage. So we have Amazing. a huge amount of data internally um, that, that can mean we are modeling and, and everything else there tends to be very, very accurate. So I know they're a pitch book and, you know, a lot of expensive subscriptions you can go out and sign up for to get some of this information. Um, but yeah, we like to think that we're a, a good resource for, for anybody considering. And and one thing I would say to, to people, you know, in the kind of SaaS digital media and kind of e-commerce space is that companies, so as a data point, companies that we work with from a um, exit planning perspective before going to market. So I would say at least 12, uh, six to 12 months, typically they see an uplift in, you know, exit multiples of about 14% compared to those that don't. So it's always just worth having a conversation. We think it's a, a good kind of ROI on that. Um, um, our doors always open wherever you know, people are in New York, Miami, San Francisco, London, or, or anywhere else in the world. So uh, yeah, fpinternational.com I'd say is the, the best way to get in touch. Smell, it's been an honor to speak with you. And I thank you for your time. Thank you for giving uh, us perspective on the m space. Me. And uh, wishing you all the best uh, as you grow and grow and grow. And you know, when you become the Morgan Stanley of the world, don't forget the little guys, okay? Uh, <laughs> we are working hard to get there. So thank you. I really, really appreciate having me on and, and the questions right. as well. Thank you. All right. You take care of yourself.